Good morning. morning. It's great to see you this weekend. Thanks for being with us. We want to welcome the Foley campus, Mobile campus, everybody online. We, We have people right now in Uganda that are streaming into this service in England, in Thailand, in Honduras. We have people connecting to this church. So let's welcome all of those guys and the rest of the world. Let me say a special thanks to all of our teams, guest services, traffic control, children, music, media, all these guys last weekend. You guys did a phenomenal job of serving almost 7,400 people at our campuses. Can we give you, can we give our servants a big hand? Yeah. The next few weeks, there's so many exciting things taking place starting next week with the ladies retreat on Friday and Saturday. Uh, next weekend, water baptism, and it's, it's going to be unique and different. And if you haven't signed up, go ahead and sign up. Or even if you're here that weekend and you just get the, like, I got to do it, you can do it. Uh, and, uh, and, then the, and then two weekends from now uh, is the, the fight the hunger. And that's where we're going to put together uh, a couple hundred thousand meals. And we're going to send them to Haiti. If you want to go on that trip, it's in May. You'll get to go distribute those. Uh, and here's what I did, guys. I stepped out last year. Uh, we did 102,000 meals that went to Haiti, and I really wanted to break the record. The organization has a record of, a, of churches that have done the most, and I wanted to blow that out, but uh, guys, reel me back a little bit, okay? So, uh, and so we're, we're just going to try to do the 200,000. So I, I know Easter and all this stuff's going on, but I need you to get online. I need you to commit. I mean, it, it's 30 bucks for 100 meals, and then you get to come out and you get to help put them together, wear one of those little white things like the cafeteria ladies wear, and work together and all that. It's a lot of fun. Sign up, help us do that. And that weekend, the, the, the weekend that we're going to do Fight the Hunger, that is an incredible weekend. We have an announcement coming from our church perspective. You don't want to miss that. The next weekend is the first weekend in May. That's our anniversary. We'll be 17 years old. We're going to celebrate, and then we have some news to share with you that weekend. Weekend that's going to blow your mind. So we just got a lot of things. You don't want to miss a weekend. I'm just telling you. You do not want to miss some things that are coming and get it secondhand. We've got some exciting things happening. So uh, anyway, let's, let's do this. Turn to Ephesians 1 and turn to 1 Samuel 30. If you have your device or your Bible, if not, the scriptures will be on the screen for you. In this series, I want to pick up from last weekend's message, a perspective of hope, Easter message. And I want to roll into this, hope changes everything. God wants us to move into an understanding of what hope really is. Understanding and grasping hope is to recognize where hope comes from. See, God loves us. He thinks about us all the time. He cares about every detail of our life. We're special to him. He cares. And God is where we find the treasure of hope. Not hope in our world, but hope in the power of God. As I said last weekend, in the resurrection power of God, in the life of God. But sometimes we confuse our hope with God with hope in something else. So we have to translate what should be hope in God and, and out of and hope in something else. And, and here's why that's so tricky for us to do. In the natural, it's easier to hope in something you can see than in something you can't see. But understand, where your hope is, that's what you worship. That's what you worship. So if it's in people, if it's in your, in your career, if it's in relationships, whatever we put our hope in other than God, that will fall apart that will uh it it will not last because god will make sure of it why because god only god's hope will last his true hope and i believe there is a path from hopelessness to hope the the subtitle of this message is the path 
There is a path to walk to fulfill hope, and that hope God has given us. So we have to transition from wishing to hope. Wishing is putting your, 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 your thoughts in, your, in, your, in a false premise. When you hope, you're hoping in a per, true hope is hoping in the person of Jesus Christ. Look at the screen. Second Timothy tells us in 3 and 16, all Scripture is inspired by God. It's useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It straightens us out, teaches us to do what is right. It's God's way of preparing us in every way, fully equipped for every good thing God wants us to do. <clears throat> now here at our church, we spend a lot of time uh, in the church teaching truth. Not just the weekends, but our equipped classes, our first Wednesdays, small groups. We believe in teaching the truth. When you do, here's what we're doing. We're opening the facts to what the condition of your soul is so that that affects the state of your life. The Bible makes it very clear that, it's, it's, that your life is not actually conditioned to the circumstances you externally face, but, you can, but it's what you carry on the inside. You heard the song, From the Inside Out. And a lot of people, here's what we think. We think that life is the sum total of circumstances, but that's not true. It's how you respond and what you allow to live on the inside of you through those circumstances that determines your outcome, whether you're spiritually healthy or spiritually unhealthy. So the good news is that God's work, it, it, he, he first, he starts out with your spirit. When you give your life to Christ and he becomes Lord, that first it works in your spirit. Your spirit then is, is moved, you're saved into this eternal realm. And Jesus, he put it this way, you must be born again. He's your source, and if you're living without him, you cannot have real hope. You, you'll never fully discover freedom to find your purpose the way God intended you to discover it without Christ. It's not going to happen. And here's the other side of that. There are a lot of Christians who say yes to God, and they receive the gift of transformation. Their spirit man is alive, but their soul, their mind, will, and emotion is out of balance. So when my soul is not right, even though God is on the inside, then my physical expressions are disabled. Then my emotional experiences are less than what God called them to be. So I'm unhealthy. I, I'm, my emotional realm is unhealthy. My soulish realm is unhealthy. In this message, I want to talk to you about identifying hopelessness. And here's the way I see it. I believe that there are two cancers in our soul that keep us off the path of hope and the hope that changes everything. So if these two cancers can stop us from traveling on the path of hope, then nothing's going to change. Here's the first one. It's insecurity. We, we all face that. It's the second major hang-up that keeps you from following uh, your path to being fully alive in Christ. The first major hang-up is sin. When you come to Christ, that's taken care of. The second one is insecurity. The power of insecurity is like cancer to the soulish realm. We have to learn how to adjust and to develop the freeing power that God gives us to have a healthy life. See, you can be a Christian and God on the inside of you and he's around your spirit, but if where your soul operates is consumed with insecurity, you can't see and experience the full expression of being fully alive and what God has planned for you. So if you look at insecurity, you look at the word insecure, it basically means unstable, unsure, un, un, uncertain, unsound. Those are emotional feelings that we have on the inside. 
but it's not how we appear on the outside. Because when we go to work, we go to school, we go to church, wherever, we, we, we're going to make sure that we look like we have it all together. But if on the inside there's a constant turmoil of negative feelings and, and, and emotional feelings that we can never get a handle on, we are spiritually unhealthy in our soulish realm. Therefore, we have no hope. But if you look at the root word of insecurities, you go back to the word secure, it means full command to rule without anxiety, free of uncertainty. So secure is the way God created us to be. And, and, and that's the emotional process that we should have. It takes time to get there. You should be ruling your thoughts and free from anxiety and have a full command of your emotions. Now, here's what I think. This is what I see. I believe hopelessness is an epidemic in America. I really do. And, but, 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 you know, we're Westerners and we're Americans, so we, we've learned how to mask it. We've learned how to do it. But inside, there's hopelessness, and, 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 and then we're, we're wishing this will happen. The old-timers use the word hope a lot. I can remember as a kid hearing those old-timers use that word hope. Now we use the word wish, 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 wish. No, we, we need to understand that the, that the hope, the real hope is in Jesus Christ, and I believe hopelessness is an epidemic. Let me show you some traits of insecure people. One, constantly tormented by what people think of them. And the irony of this is most of the time people are not even thinking about those thoughts that you think they're thinking about, but, but you, you think they are. And, and, or if you meet someone new or if you're put in a new situation, then you have this paranoia that people around you, they're, they're going to walk away and think, yeah, they're a loser. They can't do this or they're this and they're that and they're all these things that go on. See, there, there's, that there's something wrong with you. Insecure people accept negative thoughts about themselves. If you're always accepting and agreeing with negative thoughts about yourself, guess what the enemy will do? He will always supply negative thoughts. If you're quick to accept negative thoughts about yourself, yeah, I'm a failure, oh, I messed up in that marriage, I messed up in that job, I lost this, I lost that, then what's going on, you, you're, those cycles of your thought patterns are constant, and he knows if he drops another one in, you're going to grab it, agree with it, and it's just going to move on. Insecure people, number three, are defensive and cannot have healthy agreements, disagreements. Your, your response to people when they crit critically when they're critical to you or it's constructive criticism or whether they correct you will reveal your level of security. If you're insecure, you cannot have healthy disagreement with people. And, and just so you know, where there are two or more gathered together, there is a disagreement about to happen. Whether it's in your family or your marriage or your workplace, it, there, it's going to happen. So disagreement and debate is part of living life. In church, in your house, at work, you're going to have disagreements, and the way you respond to disagreements reveals your level of security. And defensiveness is a sure sign of insecurity when we're defensive and we throw them up. Insecure people, here's number four, promote themselves. Why do insecure people promote themselves? Because they may be overlooked. Insecurity is probably the root cause of many of our problems in our adult life. I look back and I think about early days of ministry and all these things, and I look at, you know, I, I, talking about somebody that, that I haven't seen in a long time, and they remembered back then, and, you know, they, it's like they, they, they saw all of this insecurity. I, I was self-promoting. I was this and I was that. And, and, and it's just caused a lot of problems. The irony of this is we don't have to, we don't have to, but we have an overwhelming need to promote ourselves at every opportunity if insecurity is there. And if you're honest with yourself, I, just like I had to go back and look and think about this, the reason you said this, the reason you did that is you're promoting yourself. You can become addicted to self-promotion. 
So here's the root cause. Insecure people believe God is standing by. He's not helping. They believe God is distant. That is not true. Here's where God is. God is moving toward you and your destiny and your purpose as fast as you allow him to go. He's not waiting on anything but me. He's waiting on you and me. He's waiting on me to agree with him. He's waiting on me to let his Holy Spirit do a work in my life. And listen, the Holy Spirit cannot cohabitate with insecurity. If insecurity is in my heart, the Holy Spirit cannot cohabitate there. Why? It would be like he's battling me. So in order for me to take the path toward my destiny, I've got to give the Holy Spirit permission to kick insecurity out of my heart. So we think God doesn't want to promote us. We think he's standing by in heaven, not wanting to move us. We blew it. We can't do this. And the whole time, he's desiring to move you forward. But hope cannot cohabitate in a heart with insecurity. And that's why insecure people fear the future. I talked about the future last weekend, Easter weekend. You understand that your future is real. It's out there. But a lot of people, they're insecure about their future. And a lot of people, they fear change. In fact, the older you get, the more you fear change. But that's in the natural part. But, but, but we fear change because we don't believe God has a future plan. We think, well, everything's okay right now. Let's don't look to the right or to the left. Let's just do what we do. Let's don't look forward into the rise and what God has. And so there we, we begin to be insecure about our future. Understand, Satan cannot see your future in detail. He does not have that divine ability. He, he, he knows, he, he doesn't know what's coming in your life in the years ahead. He's not all-knowing, but here's what he does know. He knows he can see the Holy Spirit in your life. He can hear words spoken over your life. He can see, he's heard prophecies spoken over your life. He sees the horizon in your life. He sees the possibilities in your life. Therefore, his plan is to constantly try and convince you that your future is not as secure and successful as God is leading you to believe. He doesn't know what's going to happen tomorrow, but his design is that he knows what the possibilities are for you tomorrow, and he wants to attack all the past to all of those possibilities. So what does he do? He keeps us in a place of insecurity where we're afraid to look to the future to step into a path because of all of these emotional feelings that are unstable. I used this scripture last weekend, and everybody knows it, but I'm going to use it again. It's Jeremiah 29 and 11. The prophet quotes God, and here's what God said. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster to give you a future and a hope. Let me tell you what he just said. Let me give you the bottom line of what the prophet just said. All of you listening to me, here's what the prophet just said. You need to open your heart to the idea that you're probably going to be successful. Well, wait a minute. Well, if there's insecurity talking to you, that's like, I, I don't know if I can receive that. No, God, see, God did not design you to fail. And if you're convinced of that, then you're believing the biggest lie of the enemy. Well, but, but I'm going to fail. I failed at this and failed at that, and I can't do this right and haven't done that right, and, and I have all this stuff I'm carrying on my shoulders. See, w w when you believe that biggest lie, you, you're, you're, you're stopping on the path. And, and, and you're dest you are destined to succeed. You were not designed in your mother's womb to fail in God's plan. And, and, and understand, it's one thing to hear this in your head, and it's another thing to hear it and believe it in your heart. 
You, you, you probably can see your teenagers or your kids that are multitasking. They're doing three or four things. To me, I think they're doing most of that in their head, and they're just getting it and going, and, you know, we're struggling doing one thing. But I believe to get it in your heart, you, you, you're going to have to do one thing. You're going to have to receive this in your heart. I, I want to show you what Paul said, and I want, you to, I want you to help me with this, okay? So in Ephesians 1, verse 3, that's where I'm going to start. You're going to read with me, and everywhere you see the word us, you're going to put your name in it. So let's just practice. G give me your name. Okay, most of you forgot your name. W one more time. Get, get everybody out loud, say your name. Okay, that's pretty good, uh, I guess. All right, so we're going to read this together. Where you see the word us, U-S, you put your name in there out loud. You ready? All right, let's read. Verse 3, how we praise God the Father. You, you can't read either. Okay, uh, let's go back and do that one more time. Start all over. How we praise God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we belong to Christ. Verse 4, long ago, even before he made the world, God loved and chose in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. Verse 5, his unchanging plan has been to adopt into his own family by bringing to himself through Jesus Christ, and this gave him great pleasure. He is excited about the fact that he has a plan for you and a future for you. He's excited about the fact that you're going to succeed and you're going to do something tremendous and, and, and he wants you to get this in your heart. If God is in charge of your life, then he can execute a good plan with a future and a hope. Now watch, we will always have to deal with insecurities in life, but there is a way to isolate them. And that's what I'm going to show you so that we can fulfill God's future for our life, so we can stay on the path. But what happens in our soul if insecurity isolates us, the reverse, if it isolates us, then here's what happens. Remember that, that first leg of cancer? Well, if that stays there, insecurity, then it produces the second one, and the second one is called discouragement. It's the third major hang-up to keep you off the path that God has. The first one's sin. The second one is insecurity. The third one is discouragement. And, 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 and listen, this is a major weapon the, the enemy uses because here's what he does. He takes any event in our life, anything in our past, any event that he can use to discourage you. And understand, we have to learn the path of self-encouragement. There is a path of self-encouragement. Well, how do we learn to encourage ourselves? Well, let me remind you that Satan goes through the insecurities we have and, 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 and develops the ways to discourage us. And by the way, he cannot read your mind, so all the information he has about your insecurities are things that you have said or someone has said to you that he's heard said. So he takes those insecurities and he reinforces those. So let me remind you that you're going to have to, you're going to have to have courage to be, not be discouraged. So, so you, you understand, understand to be discouraged means to be without courage. Here's what that looks like. Without courage is like you trying to live by faith to find God's destiny for your life, but you're doing it without hope. So here's what I want to do. I want to show you two keys to the path of self encouragement. I'm going to start off with a story. It's a story that has a bad beginning but a good ending. It's one of the stories that comes from David, and we'll get to it in just a minute. Let me give you a little, little background up front. 
and, and, and understand that when, when the prophet Samuel came to David, he's a kid, he's about 17 years old, he anoints him to be the next king of Israel. He pours the king's anointing oil on him. He, David was his father's eighth choice. He was God's first choice. And understand this, that this event was not shared in public, so the current king, King Saul, who's a king of the flesh, he's, a, he's, he's not a really good king because it's all about self-promotion. He doesn't know about this. About three years later, David has an encounter with a guy named Goliath and kills him. And then Saul, the king, brings him into his house, and David becomes popular in Israel. And everybody's singing about him, talking about him. And Saul was a very insecure man who was full of jealousies, and he starts, he starts getting je more jealous because David's getting more praise and recognition, and so he starts trying to kill him over and over again, throwing javelins at him with words, with setups and different things in his family. So David, finally, he has to come to a place. He said, I got to get out of here. So he flees from the house of Saul. He goes into the wilderness to a cave that's called Adullam. Adullam means to dangle. So for the next seven years, David's life is in a place dangling because here he is called to be the king. The king he's supposed to serve is trying to kill him. He's running for his life. So there he is in this place and he's dangling. And guess what happens when he gets there? There, there's several hundred hopeless men that show up. The Bible defines them as hopeless. Why are they hopeless? Because they're looking at a king that's self-promoting, is not anointed, and they're seeing David who has a fresh anointing, and there's something different about David because he already has hope in God because he learned how to do that out on a, on a shepherd's field. So they're attracted to him. They follow him. Time goes on after seven years, and, and here's what happens. He moves out of Adullam, and, then there, and, then, and Saul's still trying to kill him, so David does something that's unthinkable. He actually goes to the Philistine city, and he goes to the Philistines with a couple thousand of his men now, and the Philistines think, oh, David, yeah, he took out Goliath. Yeah, he's a traitor, and he's defecting to the enemy's city, and, he, and, and, and we're, we're going to put him in our terrorist army. So the Philistines are God's people, are God's number one arch enemy to the people of, of, his, of his. So David, the next king, looks like he's defected to the city, become part of their terrorist army, and then the terrorists, the Philistines, they say, hey, we're going to give you your own city. There's a lot of you guys, 2,000 men, you got wives and kids, so we're going to give you a city called Ziklag. You guys go move there, it's yours, you live there. So David... He starts operating with the Philistines. He starts attacking people groups. They're not, they're, they're people groups that are against God. He doesn't attack God's people. And, and, and so he starts doing the thing, same thing that the Philistines are doing. And then guess what happens? The day came when the Philistines kicked David and his men out of their army. You, you can't, it, it's a bad day when the Philistines kick you out because they have no standards at all. Oh, we're, we're going to kick you guys out. And so they have no standards. So here's where we find them, where we're going to read. They're rejected by the Philistines. They're on their way back home to Ziklag and to get their families and move out. They have nowhere to go. They're going to get the livestock. They're going to go. And Saul's still looking for David. He's going to try to kill David. What's that setup? That setup is a perfect timing for discouragement. So look what happens. 1 Samuel 30, verse 1. Now it happened when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag, attacked Ziklag, and burned it with fire, and had taken captive the women and those who were there from, a small, from small to great. They did not kill anyone, but carried them away and went their own way. They kidnapped all these people. So David and his men came to the city. They've just been rejected by the Philistines. And there it was, 
burned with fire, their homes. Their wives, their sons, and their daughters had been taken captive. And then David and the people who were with him lifted up their voices and wept until they had no more power to weep. One translation says they couldn't cry anymore. They, they cried all their tears, had no more tears. Drop down to verse 6. Look what it says. Now David was greatly distressed for the people spoke of stoning him. His 2,000 men, hey, we're going to kill you. Because the soul of all the peoples were grieved, every man for his son and his daughter. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. When they saw their homes, they saw their family, their wealth was missing, they're devastated. They had been attacked by the Amalekites, another enemy of God. They lost everything. So here's David. Remember, he's been anointed to be the next king. Here's David. He has no king because the, the king that, 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 that he's supposed to be serving is trying to kill him. So he has no king. He has no home. He has no family. He has no money. He has no country now. He has no country. And it sounds like a really good place to be discouraged. The Scripture says the men cried until they could cry no more. And then they start talking about killing David. That's a bad day. Everything God promised looks like a mockery of the call because David doesn't look like the man who's going to be the next king. David looks like the biggest loser on the battlefield. Like, how in the world can this happen? Verse 6 said, but David encouraged himself in the Lord. He stopped in the middle of everything and said in desperation, I have to encourage myself in the Lord. Where did he learn this practice? He learned it in a dulum. He learned it in a place of dangling. He learned to, re he learned to turn back to God. Because at that time in David's life, here's what the enemy is whispering. He's saying, you're the worst leader ever. <laughs> you're going to be a king? I don't think so. God's changed his mind. God's deserted you. Look what's happened. He's left you. He's not getting involved with your problems. See, that's insecurity talking. Every mistake we make, the devil uses as an opportunity to come into our life and negate all the promises of God, which means when he does that, he's trying to get you to see, well, there's no future. There's no destiny. I blew it. I couldn't change it if I wanted to. But David encouraged himself in the Lord, and then the Lord spoke a word back to David. And here's what the Lord said back to David. Pursue for you shall surely overtake them and without fail recover all. Pursue the enemy, and you're, gonna, you're not going to lose anything. You're going to take it all back. He shares this word with his more than 2,000 men now, and they believe their leader. They pursue the enemy. They recover everything. No one dies. All the women, all the children, all the livestock, the riches, even the enemy's bounty that the Amalekites had stolen from other people, they, they, they take it all. They receive everything back and then more and then become rich overnight. What David did not know that while this is going on, that King Saul and his three sons are fighting the Philistines, and they're all three killed. He doesn't know. And he just left the Philistines. So what's going on in David's life? Well, it looks like in the natural, hopelessness. But in the, in the natural, things do not seem as they really are in the spiritual. And the flip side, understand that in the spiritual realm, it doesn't appear as it does in the natural. So you can't go by what you see in the natural. You have to have hope in God that something's going on in the spiritual. God was doing something. David couldn't see it. So David relies on his relationship with God, encourages himself in the word of the Lord, and we have to learn to encourage ourselves in the Lord because every one of us will go through times of discouragement, and some of you may be there right now because, listen, if you allow, if you allow that discouragement to stay there, if you allow insecurity to stay there, it will slip into another mode called depression. And, and you see, it's inevitable we're going to face disappointments. But if it lasts too long, it's a dangerous place. Why? Because that means in the soulish realm, there's no hope. 
And when you live in the soulless room with no hope, then here's what happens. Your soul then is convinced, God's not here, God's not part of this. And so we start making decisions out of our emotional realm that are not based on God. We make wrong decisions because of broken things in our soulless realm. We start making decisions and rash decisions because of our feelings. And listen, you can't trust your feelings You'll never trust your feelings completely. You have to trust and hope in God. And then it gets you to a place where you say, okay, I'm done, I'm finished. In the natural, David should have said, well, I'm I'm not going to be the king. That's over, it's over with. It should have caused him to quit, to give up because of hopelessness. Listen, I've been in ministry 35 years. Uh, 17 years ago, we planted this church. I've been pastoring adults for 17 years. I can't tell you how many times that I've gone home on, on, on a Sunday afternoon or Sunday evening and, and, and say it, either thank it or say it to my wife, I quit. I'm done. Why? Because of discouragement. So it's always going to come back. Hey, th- that's his tactic. You, you understand, once you become a believer, that's, that's about all he can do as work through your insecurities and, and give you a place of discouragement because he, 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 you're, you're covered and protected. God's got a plan. He can't kill you. If he could kill you, he'd already kill you. He can't kill you. What's he going to do? He's going to work on insecurities and he's going to work you into a place of discouragement. Why? So that you will quit. Quit what? You'll quit trying to find a path of purpose and destiny. So you'll just go through the motions and you're a Christian and you're going to heaven, you're going to see God one day, but everything he's called you to do on this earth, you're not going to do it because he's got you in a place where you're discouraged, so you throw in the towel and you quit. You can't quit. Let me tell you why I can't quit. Because every time I, quit, every time I say I'm going to quit, all of a sudden I hear a little word in my spirit, in the depth of my spirit, a word that he would say to me, a word that he would confirm something he's already said to me, and I know it's him because it's not me. I know he said it, and when he says it again, I go back back to that word and I let go of the hopelessness and I'm focused and driven by the word that he put in my heart. Let me tell you what drives me and I've said it before. What drives me is one day I'm going to stand before God. And the scripture says in the Hebrew, he has a book. And then this book in the Hebrew, it's a blueprint. And before the worlds were formed, your name, my name, it's in there and what his purpose and destiny future is. It's in his book. He's got a book. And I don't want to stand before him and he hit the the video player and hit the button of what my life was supposed to fulfill and the purpose and the path that I have and me be surprised at what I was supposed to have done. I want to stand there and watch the video and say, yep, I, I walked that path, I walked that path, I did that. I did exactly what you called me to do. Why? Because I want to be driven by his calling. I want to be driven by his calling. I want to operate in a realm where I know that my hope and my relationship was in him, is in him, and I don't give up. So here's the deal. Real quick, two keys to David's path to self-encouragement. Here's the first key. He had a trusting relationship with God. If you're going to encourage yourself, you have to have a relationship with God. David was not angry. You would think he would be. This is a 13-year process before he becomes the king of Israel. And and you you would think something should be operating better now. Things should be changing. But he never became angry with God. And another thing, David had been living among the enemy, but were part of his life, but the enemy did not affect his relationship with God. You know what that tells me? That tells me I can live in the world and still have my relationship with God, and the world cannot affect my relationship with God. He's in a desperate situation. The king's trying to kill him. He's been in the enemy's camp. He's just come out. Another enemy takes and steals everything he has, and he still has a fresh perspective of God. Why? I think he understood the nature of hope. I think David knew God could always be trusted. 
I think David put all of his hope and trust in God. He knew he was trustworthy about everything. And, and, and in the natural, it looked like, well, God's unplugged. He's changed his mind. I'm not going to be the king. But David knew God had not deserted him because he had hope. You see, the hardest thing to see, the, the hardest time to see God is in the present. Because typically in the present, the only thing you have in the present is a word. That's why I can't quit, because there's a word stamped in my heart. Do this, do this, do this. And, and you can't. In the present, I, 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 you know, right now as your pastor, I need, I, I look for a word from God about where the church is going. In the present, I look to a word from God for where people need to go, where, where we need to take you. But it's harder to see in the moment that you're in. You have to have faith that God is going to do something that you can't, and you can't see it. So what, what was God doing in David's life with all of this stuff going on? He's simply preparing him to be the king. Why? King Saul can't prepare him. King Saul is a soulish king. He, he's a self-centered man. He's seeking witchcraft. He's not going to let him train David. So God trains David. So God lets him go through hard times that are controlled by God, but he's not going to let him die. He's going to protect him. God's letting him go through hard times because the secret of being a king, listen, is you have to be tough. The secret to being successful is you have to be tough. The secret to being, to fulfill your destiny is you're going to have to be tough. In other words, if every time something little negative or bad happens and, and you, you, you go into a fetal position and suck your thumb and whine, you're never going to get there. You have to toughen up, buttercup. You, 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 you got you, you to bow your shoulders back. It, it's not just going to fall in your lap. You have to decide, I'm going to be tough through this. I'm going to get through this. I'm going to walk through this. I'm not going to give up. I'm going to listen to what the Lord said. And if you're going to be a king, if you're going to be successful, if you're going to find your destiny, you're going to stay in the path, you have to deal with these difficulties. It's part of being spiritually healthy. So watch, God puts David through a time of controlled difficulty so David will be a strong man. And David was a strong man till the day he dies. And that's a whole other story that I'd love to tell you but it would make you laugh, so I'm not going to do it. So, through all of this, watch, through all of this, we have to admit, yeah, there's bad times, but sometimes we receive so much in the bad time. Our character's forged. Maybe a sin's burned out. And when this happens, we learn something incredible. Let me tell you what I've learned. Let me tell you what I've learned. I've learned that many of us live our lives in our dreams, but we must live our life in our destiny. Because if I live my life in my dreams, here's what's happening. I, I'm, I'm in the dream mode. The chances are I'm going to be full of pride and I'm going to talk and yap and tell you all these wonderful things and do this, do this, and never produce or never do anything. I'm going to be self promoting. So God was preparing him, He was teaching him listen, I am putting you in your destiny. You're, you're going to walk out something. You're going to fulfill something that I've called you to do. It's not just some dream you had out with those sheep. This is something that I planned you're going to walk out. So, so understand that this, and let me give you the second key. And this one has two different places I could go. It has a practical and has a spiritual. It has a prophetic, has different things. So you take from it from what you want. Here's the second key. The first key is he had a trusting relationship in God. The second key is God shows him the enemy city. What, what, what do you mean about that? What, what, what do you mean he shows him the enemy city? Saul, King Saul's against David. He runs for his life. He ends up in the enemy city for security. 
well, I, I don't get that. Why, why, why would God do that? But, but, but understand, he's to be the new king of Israel. He's living and working, and he's living and working in the enemy city. He's connected to the enemy city. Why? Because God is showing him the underbelly of the enemy in his own city. He's showing him the tactics of the enemy. He's showing him how he operates, how he thinks. He's showing him how he manipulates insecurities. He's showing him how he takes anything and tries to bring discouragement in it and tell you you're a failure, you can't do it. He's showing him how he takes advantage of people, how the enemy takes advantage of people when they're down, when they're discouraged. He's understanding all this. And and here's, here's the point of it. David is the man who finally destroys the Philistines. When he becomes king. In fact, David is the man who destroyed the Amalekites and the Jebusites and, and all the ites. Well, David is the man, when he became king, he destroyed all of the enemies of God. He took them out. And, and you see, the enemy, the Philistine, the number one enemy, the people were fearful of them. And here's why. Philistine means, it comes from the word Philistia. Philistia means to wallow in oneself. So the greatest enemy of God's people to wallow in oneself. So these people are all about self, all about self. You wall on yourself. L- listen, l- let me tell you what discouragement is. Discouragement is when your soul is not located around the hub of your spirit man. Your soul is wrapped around you. So here's what God did. It's, it's amazing. It, it is amazing. It's never happened before, only one time in Scripture. But, but watch what, well, let me show you the storyline. Go back to the story. David takes out the Malachites. He takes all the bounty back. He even takes the bounty that these people stole from other people. And, and, and actually, it was labeled, believe it or not, and he takes it and he returns most of it to its rightful cities, its rightful owner. Why would he do this? Why would he return all of this? Because God's purpose in preparing here for king was God was, was restoring to the people faith in a godly leader that was headed to the throne. Because they didn't have any faith in the king that was there. They didn't have any faith in the person leading them. They didn't have any faith because this man was self-centered. So God is restoring confidence in a man that he called to be king because Saul was called by the people. God said, no, I'm calling David. And when he did, the king, when he became king, here's what happened. The people connected with him. They followed his vision. They followed everything because they did not doubt the last king. Why? Because they saw the transition in the man. They saw the God in the man. They saw the man giving back. They saw the man worshiping God in a heart. Hardship. They saw the man turn everything back to God. And here's what God said. I have chosen you, David, because you're a man after my own heart. And I've chosen you because I know that if I can get you into Jerusalem, if I can get you into a place to bring unity back to my people, because they were divided, two tribes here, ten tribes there. And David brought them all back together. If, you, if I can get you there and you trust in me and now you know the tactics of the enemy, here's what's going to happen. The people are going to come to me and you're going to lead them. The people and they're going to defeat the enemy because I'm showing you their ta- his tactics and I'm telling you that when you come together as the body of Christ, when you come together as the church, my plan is bigger than your plan. My future is bigger than your future and I will show you how to overcome and be everything you've called to be. Why? Because I want to change a world. I want to change a nation. I want to change a group of people. And watch this. Let, let, let me show you this side of it, too. I'm out of time, but I might as well go on more. <laughs> go back to the story. These guys are going to stone David. They've been through seven years in the wilderness with him, some of them. They're going to stone him, but when they get the Word of God, it changes. 
These men were faithful to David. They believed in his anointing. They, 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 they believed in his destiny. He's going to be the king of Israel. David encouraged himself in the Lord. He got a word from God. He shares the word. Immediately, they changed their minds. Why? Why, why isn't there, there a Judas? Why isn't there a Thomas? Why isn't there a doubter? Why? 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 Because these were men of the word. What do you mean? I mean, for seven to ten years, they have been used to David hearing from God and giving them a word. They knew it was real. So these men were spiritually healthy men. They were not insecure men, and they were not men of discouragement. They were men of hope. And immediately when the word went forth, immediately when the word is shared, it resonates in their spirit, and they grab it. Why? Because they're healthy men, because they're full of hope. So... Because it would have been really hard if you weren't full of hope to say in the middle of all those circumstances, oh, by faith. But they've heard David say, blessed be the name of the Lord. They've heard him say it over and over. They, they knew he knew how to self-encourage himself in the Lord. He, they, they've heard him say, God's a good God. God's got a good plan. God hasn't, they, they knew they were full of hope. And, and, and you see, that's not what insecurity and discouragement says. But if you let go of God, if you let go of hope, you, you lose your ability to encourage yourself. We're all unstable to some degree, but God is the most stable, most positive being you'll ever meet. And even if God has something to say in the negative, he says it in a positive way. Why? Because God is hope. God is a light. God is a path. He has an answer for everything, and his perspective is hope. His perspective holds the universe in his hand. And I believe if you catch this revelation, it's hard to be hopeless. I mean, when you think about it with God and the hope he gives us, why is there, what, what is there to fear? Well, the world and this and the terrorists. No, with God, what is there to fear? Or why, why do we fear people? See, here's what God's doing. He's showing you the underbelly of how the enemy operates. He's showing you his limited capacity. He's showing you the underbelly of the enemy that's going to work through your insecurities, magnify your discouragements, and hopefully put you in a place of depression so you stop and you quit and you give up. When you do that, you doubt the future. Why do we need to doubt the future? God's in control. He's a living God. He's a wonderful God. He wants you to succeed. And here's what God said to Jeremiah, basically. He said, your life is in my hands, and I give you a future and a hope. In other words, here's what God's saying. God's saying, my future is secure. How many of you think God's future is secure? Yeah, I, I think he's been around a long time. He's going to be around for a long time. His future is secure. And he says, and I want your future secure. Now, if God's future is secure, and he says, I want your future secure, what do we have to fear? What do we have to fear? We have to fear the lies of the enemy. So I'm exposing those. Now, here's what I want to do. I want to do two things, and I'm done. I want you to look at me on this one. Don't, don't close your head. Uh, close your head. And, yeah, don't close your head. That'd be bad. <laughs> Some of you have been sleeping through this message, so your head's been closed. Uh, no, I, I want you to look right here. And I want you to be honest and say, Pastor, I, I, I fight insecurities. I, I struggle with discouragement. I have events in my past that the enemy keeps bringing up, and I, I'm so frustrated, and I'm, I'm ready to throw in the towel. Or maybe, I mean, I've thrown in the towel. I've quit. And you're in that place, and you're in a place of hopelessness. I, I, just, want you to, I just want you to admit, I just want you to hold your hand up and say, I, I, I need hope. Come on. Be honest. Now, keep your hands up, eyes open. Now, now, look around the hands all over this room. The campuses, I guarantee their hands up right now. Those of you who lifted your hands, I want to pray for you. 
Father, thank you so much for believing in us and creating us with a purpose and a destiny. And I thank you for showing us the underlying truth in the scriptures of how the enemy operates. I thank you for exposing how he lies, magnifies our insecurities. I thank you for exposing how he takes our shortcomings and our failures and brings those back to our remembrance over and over and over again. Thank you for showing us his tactics. But Lord, those who lifted their hands, I pray they become men and women full of hope to know you, to have a trusting relationship with you, to identify how the enemy operates in their lives, and to stand on the fact that God has me and designed me, and he has a future and a hope for me, and I refuse to walk, I refuse not to walk the path of encouragement and believe in what God has for me. And I speak this over those who have raised their hands in Jesus' name. And everybody said, now let me ask you one more question, and this time you can close your eyes and bow your heads. Go ahead. Don't look around. No peepers. If he's not the Lord of your life, then you don't have a source to hope. If you haven't accepted Christ as Lord, then you're only going to have hope and hope. And that's what the world gives you. If you, if you accept him as Lord, you have the source of hope. Yeah, but what about, yeah, but no, 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 no. It, it has to start with him. And I'm going to ask you, sitting here, listening to me. Eyes are closed, heads are bowed. Those of you would say, I, I need that source of hope. I, I need Jesus Christ. Why don't you lift your hands up? Come on, all over the room. I need Jesus. <clears throat> Thank you. Now I want us to pray this prayer together. All the campuses, let's pray it all out loud together. Everybody, you ready? Thank you, Jesus Christ, for loving me and accepting me just as I am. I give you my life. Take my sins and wash them away. Become my source to real hope. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we give the Lord just a big thank you of appreciation? Amen. God bless you.